On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell and Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. Today on the show, I've got Craig Hatcock. It wasn't until we really sat down that we'd say, okay, let's take a really hard look because people probably don't traditionally think of religion as an area that's you know ripe with innovation. But if you remember the following quote, every tradition that we have started off as an innovation. This is another episode of Innovation and Leadership, where we interview all kinds of high achievers, from world-class musicians to CEOs, authors, and pro athletes. Try to find the common elements of success, no matter what you're working on. We've got a new book coming out soon. If you want to get an advanced copy for free, please email me, jess at innovationandleadership.com, and just tell me in the email. Again, jess, J-E-S-S, at innovationandleadership.com. And now on to the episode. Craig, thanks for making time. Thank you very much for having me. So, uh, like I was saying before we started the show, I think I think we've got about four episodes worth of innovation out of you, so we'll try and squeeze as much as we can in today. Um, okay. But l- let's talk about, well, I, I feel like you're going to do a better job of this. Can you, can you list at least the top five things, you know, between starting, you know, between Tribeca and the awards and the authorship and teaching? And can you list kind of the things that maybe you're most well known for? Uh, sure. Um, I guess, uh, historically my, the first part of my career was fairly, uh, started off fairly traditional in the banking business, but quickly morphed into a less traditional, I think I'm going to use the phrase, uh, an entrepreneur at what used to be the, uh, old chemical bank. And I was very active in sort of my first career, uh, in financial engineering, new product development, innovation in the banking system. Uh, and this was particularly uh, very much focused on the real estate industry, but then sort of crossed over into other industries. So one would be just a pretty interesting banking career. Uh, ended up partnering with another uh, very interesting, uh, I'll call him innovator, an entrepreneur, uh, a guy by the name of Sam Zell, was partners with Sam for about uh, – probably close to 10 years in a uh, mezzanine finance company that we uh, started together. So that was sort of the first round one of the career. And by 1998, after my fifth financial crisis that I had endured during the banking system, um, I I started to think about doing different things. I had a great career in real estate and finance, but I always had the itch to be, uh, and I was doing very creative things, but it really wasn't a touch and feel when you're in the finance business, the product is stuff you don't even really see very much. You're kind of moving money around and a lot of structuring and engineering uh, on the, you know, in a financial sense. So one would be uh, you know, a career in finance and banking. Uh, when I left the uh, sort of my banking and finance career, um, I got very involved initially um, in transitioning from a 
banker of 20 plus years into much more of an entrepreneurial role and started a number, a bunch of different startups, uh, one of which we can talk about at some point, maybe in a different episode. But uh, that's when I actually met Clay Christensen, who I know uh, you're a fan of, and very much inspired by Clay that sort of spilled over into almost everything else I've done since. But so I started moving into the entrepreneurial space. Um, the, at the same time as I was cultivating a relationship with Clay, uh, by 2001, when September 11th uh, came, uh, that was really the beginning of the, the Tribeca Film Festival, which was an effort uh, to bring, basically bring, bring people back to the streets of Lower Manhattan after September 11th. And so I was one of the three co-founders along with uh, Jane Rosenthal and Robert De Niro, and uh, we thought we would do the festival for one year just to get some people back down. And uh, here we are going 17 years later or thereabouts going into our 17th Tribeca Film Festival next April. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. Uh, as we say, the measure of success is we are still standing after 17 years. Uh, but it's been a very interesting uh, uh, process and transformation of uh, just even what's happened in the entire entertainment communications and media space uh, since the festival started. And we can maybe talk about that later. Um, along the way, just as sort of a, an interesting, started off as a family hobby with my daughters. We started writing some children's books and it turned out to be um, a fairly significant hobby. And we've now, uh, with both my daughters and different combinations, We've published about a dozen children's books, including a very popular series uh, based on real-life animal stories. And I, while I'm not sure I envision myself as a fairly traditional um, you know, author in the children's publishing space, we started to combine both the digital as well as the, you know, the publishing slash analog side. And so we've become you know, fairly well-established, uh, particularly in the educational space, uh, with our series of children's books. So I guess that would make number two as a children's author. Um, I think the Tribeca Disruptive Innovation Awards, which we can talk about a little bit later, uh, now going into its ninth year, um, is think of it as almost an offshoot. It's currently part of the festival, but very much its own platform that embraces the work of uh, Clay Christensen. And as, you know, as he's referred to it, we're a bit of the advanced research and development arm of some of his thinking, particularly how innovation applies to non-traditional domains. So we tend to think of uh, innovation has largely been associated with Silicon Valley apps and technology and chips and, uh, you know, all the latest, uh, think of it as industrial and technological products, but we've started applying the principles of innovation to domains as far-flung as religion, spirituality, uh, ethical and moral development, and things of that nature. So I think the sort of that third platform, I guess, if that's where we are, um, is really a, a very, very interesting platform for uh, the cutting edge of innovation. So, um, and then I guess on the side, I'm a pretty avid uh, musician uh, and have actually written a rock opera that's under development based on the life of Galileo. So not that's a pretty well kept secret. So uh, uh, hopefully in the next year or two, maybe you'll hear some more about it. But uh, and then the rest, I guess, innovation, publishing, some music thrown in, Tribeca, 
And uh, I, I'm on a, a number of boards, both public companies as well as uh, not-for-profits. Well, and, and can we talk about one of them for one second, the Desmond Tutu Peace Foundation? That sounds incredible. Uh, yes, that's, uh, we had a relationship with uh, the archbishop who came to Tribeca, I believe it was the second year, and I met some of the folks uh, in addition to the archbishop, and they invited me to uh, go on the board, which uh, I've been on, oh boy, probably at least, probably close to 12 years. Um, and it's fascinating. This is really the U.S. arm of uh, one of our great spiritual leaders, Nobel Prize winner, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who is really quite inspirational in that same category, I'd say, as the Dalai Lama and uh, Nelson Mandela. So Tutu is quite a large figure, and it's been fascinating to, you know, how do you, in the United States, he's from based in South Africa, but in the United States, how do you preserve not just the legacy, but also what is the wisdom that can be uh, uh, shared from uh, his body of work and his life story? No, he's an incredible thinker. And, uh, you know, I think Nelson Mandela obviously deserves all the credit he's gotten. But the nature of those two working together, it's almost like Jordan and Pippin to me. Like he just, <laughs> not, I, I'm not sure everybody recognizes just how much thought leadership he's created and set such an incredible example for the rest of us to follow. Yeah, he's really quite quite incredible and so uh, dynamic and energized. You know, he's 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 getting on. He's uh, he's not a young man anymore, but uh, he's still very very active. Yeah, well, Great and no kidding. Um, well, and I I do kind of want to focus on the disruptor awards here today. Um, can you talk a little bit about this? How we how Tribeca Film Festival ended up into like the the story of how the disruptor awards came about. Yeah, it was kind of a, a two-prong, um, I guess, result uh, or effort. One, as we were building out the film festival, sort of around 2007, I became very active with uh, Clay Christensen, who is also uh, probably less known, uh, but is a, uh, has been an elder of the Mormon church. And we started talking about uh, innovation uh, that was uh, spurred by another relationship that uh, will come up as we go through, but with Erwin uh, Kula, who was an eighth-generation rabbi. And so between Clay, Erwin uh, Kula, and myself, we started sort of a – actually, it was a Clinton Global Initiative to explore applying disruptive innovation theory uh, to religion and uh, spirituality. And it was probably the first time – Clay had been – thinking along those lines, but it wasn't until we really sat down that we'd say, okay, let's take a really hard look because people probably don't traditionally think of religion as an area that's, you know, ripe with innovation. But if you remember the following quote, every tradition that we have started off as an innovation. So it's one of the lessons I've learned from this. Um, but uh, we started the, the Disruptor Awards um, First year, so it was 2010, it was a little bit of, I think the phrases we would use in the innovation space that you'll be familiar with was it was our rapid prototyping and our beta test. And we just, it just kind of organically came up as an event at Tribeca. Uh, the first year it was 65 people in a screening room, a uh, very interesting group of uh, honorees. Um, and, uh, you know, Clay Clayton came down and it was really a first exposure to many people in the uh, entertainment industry, uh, 
to uh, what was really going on. And this is really at the stage where Netflix was coming into its own, Amazon was becoming a behemoth, and it was a very interesting time uh, to start looking at the, the principles of innovation and how it impacted not, not only the entertainment industry, uh, but the broader world at large. Well, I mean, I looked through your honorees list, and, and how many have there been so far, by the way? Uh, the last count I heard was around 175 honorees. Yeah. We usually about, uh, you know, roughly 15 to 20 uh, plus honorees a year. And it's a very, it's an interesting uh, show. It's really more about the storytelling. So each one of the honorees has their own amazing story or narrative. But if you curate it in a way to provide a sort of like a, what I'll call the meta narrative of the awards, it's really quite provocative. And, uh, yeah, you know, the words uh, quirky, idiosyncratic, uh, edgy has been you know, often applied to the way we do our awards. So, and, so I want to hear more about this because you've got, I mean, such big names involved, founder of Twitter, founder of Wikipedia, the Acumen, the MakerBot, 3D printer guys. I mean, you guys have really got a who's who for people that are inventing the future. Um, you know, one I thought was really interesting on here was the, the uh, Formula One, the E series, the yeah. electric series of Formula One. Can you, talk, is, can you talk about that one for just a minute? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, it, it was very interesting. Um, uh, I don't remember the exact genesis of the relationship, but when I started hearing about, uh, you know, these are the electric cars that at some point in time will drive just as fast uh, as the, you know, traditional Formula One uh, cars. Um, but when you think about what they were doing, the most interesting part of it, well, one, obviously, it was a uh, it, Formula E had some very high profile names, people like Leo DiCaprio that was involved in it. Um, it was building a league unto itself uh, of these Formula E uh, you know, cars and teams. But one of the most interesting parts is there is no noise from, you know, it's not like going to a NASCAR race where the sounds are deafening. These are very quiet cars. And it really changes the entire experience. And one of the things I thought was fascinating is because there was not that background uh, noise of the humming of the cars, they started introducing music, which is kind of an, you know, it's one of those interesting things of connecting two slightly disconnected thoughts, but it changed the nature of the experience. And they were doing, uh, it was really, fa it was fascinating. But it's when you hear, you know, electric cars, you know, the future, 10 years ago, we would have said electric cars may or may not, uh, you know, we'll clearly have electric cars, but when would they actually have the crossover where that then becomes the mainstream and uh, gas, gas, powered, gas powered cars start declining? You know, if you saw, I think it was even yesterday about China pushing for all electric cars. Uh, and then obviously along the way, we've got our friend, you know, Elon Musk uh, doing Tesla. But it was just a what is something that makes uh, the whole notion of electric cars uh, accessible and more understandable? And cool, right? Well, it was very cool. Yes. You know, um, I, we're, we're, we're closing in on the end of, of part one, and, and I'm excited for part two of the interview where I want to dig more into kind of where you hope this all goes. But um, besides people going to disruptorawards.com, uh, where where else can people learn more about the Disruptor Foundation and, and connect with you, or, or what, what would your call to action be today? 
Well, I think the uh, the website is set up. It's very informational. Um, so you can go through all of the honorees and all of the fellows. Um, that would, you know, I'd say just a Google search for uh, Disruptor Awards or Tribeca Disruptive Innovation Awards will pop, pull up some pretty interesting things. Lots of interesting uh, honorees and photos and, uh, you know, blurbs along the way. Okay. Well, we're, we're, we're a relatively well-kept secret. <laughs> Not intentionally. So, uh, but we've really focused on building the community and, uh, you know, creating a very interesting ecosystem. Yeah. So a lot of interaction from the honorees and our fellows and, uh, you know, we're looking to expand that. So that's kind of the future for us is how do we build out this platform? That's great. Well, this is a great place to end for part one. Everybody, please turn into part tune into part two of the interview. Uh, we're going to get more of the background, the story behind the story with Craig here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and Trent Mano, I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard uh, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for two ninety nine subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just two ninety nine each. Sir, yes, sir! Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.